Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. He is, there they are standing before an assembly of men that thought that they could intimidate them, that thought that they could overwhelm them, that thought that they could cause them to be shaken. But unfortunately, they recognized and saw that this, these two groups, these two men had been with Jesus. See, this is Peter and John, who had just gotten through healing a layman who had been lame for 40 years, in the name of Jesus. But not just in the name of Jesus. See, Jesus at this point is now not only the Messiah, but he is the risen Messiah. He is the risen Christ. And the same group that they are now assembled before, engaged in a union of church and state that put Jesus on a cross. And many of them in this group, the Sanhedrin, were, uh, were, were discounting, were, were trying to throw away the teaching of the resurrection from the dead. And anybody that wanted to disprove the message that was being circulated by these disciples that Jesus was not risen from the dead, all they had to do was be directed back to the tomb, which was not too far from where they were assembled, and say, look, here he is, there's the Roman seal, soldiers are still there. And they could have easily disproven it. But the truth of the matter is, anybody that went over to that tomb saw even to this day, that it is empty. And not only was it empty, but standing before them was the man that was crippled, that was lame for 40 years. That's a long time. And he was standing there, and everybody that saw and witnessed this miracle done in the name of the risen Christ recognized that this miracle was an authentic, divine miracle, which was God's stamp of approval and vindication, not only healing this man, but the vindication of the message that the apostles were preaching. And that is that Jesus of Nazareth was not only the Messiah, but he is the risen Christ. And this incontrovertible proof and evidence that was standing right there before them was something that everybody that was witnessing it could look around and go, wait, this, this is the real deal. Could it be that what they are saying, could it be that we actually crucified our Messiah? And seeing the reality, the, the undeniable reality that was standing before them, all they could do to double down and, and, and save face was to, to say threats that they should not speak anymore in the name of Jesus. But they wanted to do more than just merely threaten them and send them away. They wanted to have these two disciples crucified just like their master. But they could not do that because they were afraid of the people who verified and gave witness and were glorifying God that this man was indeed healed, but not just healed, healed in the name of the risen Christ. 
And so it was politically unfavorable for them to do anything to these men but simply say, hey, don't speak anymore in this name. And they stood, even hearing the threats, calm and having full confidence that they were going to, as they would say later, obey God rather than man. So they're sent away, and when they get back to where they are, they regroup and they assemble with the other believers there in Jerusalem, and they give report about all the things that the chief priests and the elders, these guys that made up the Sanhedrin, all the things that they had said, all the threats, they, they give the report, and now you're there left wondering, what is going to be their response to these threats? It's clear that they have direct opposition from the authorities at this point. They saw what happened to their Messiah, though they know that he's risen, but could the same thing happen to them? What's going to be their response. Now, if you're hearing this, then probably it's already coming into your mind as we begin to see what God is doing here amongst our congregation in the body of Christ. We're, we're beginning to see what God is beginning to position us for, for the mission. And maybe the question is already coming up in your mind. How should we respond to opposition to the mission of Christ through us? How should we respond to the opposition to the mission of Christ through us. You see, the whole thing about the book of Acts is that the book of Acts is not just the Acts of the Apostles. There's some inspired writing in a book named after the book, Acts of the Apostles, that chronicles that book, called Acts of the Apostles. You may be familiar with that if you're in our community of faith. But actually, what's going on in the book of Acts, please hear this, and what's going on even now in the church, what's going on in the book of Acts is it's the Acts of God through Christ through the Holy Spirit among the believers. Let me, let me clarify what I mean there. The church is the body of Christ on earth. And we are in Christ by faith, and he is in us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. In other words, the works of the church and the works of the apostles is actually the works of Christ through them. And so we're going to discover something about how the church should respond when faced with opposition. And I want to invite you now, because I believe the Holy Spirit, I'm convicted, the Holy Spirit has something for us beginning in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse number 24. If you're there, let me hear you say amen. Acts chapter 4. Verse 24, let's go and get into the word of God. Here it is. So when they heard, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said. So now they're about to start to pray to God. I want you to pay attention to what they say. Now listen. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people or the Gentiles or the nations plot a what? Vain or futile thing. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ or anointed one. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate 
with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, I want you to notice that their response to the threats, to the opposition that was brought against them, was to first pray. I got no amens on that. Hallelujah. The first response was to pray. It wasn't to strategize now, brother, how they were going to shift and move location to a more favorable place to do mission. Their response wasn't even to waste time gossiping about what was just said to them and how the, the apostles represented the church when they stood before them. They were not going to undermine and, and, and shoot themselves in the foot in terms of the mission by gossiping. Their response to the threats was, was not to even waste time worrying about the opposition. Their response was to pray a powerful prayer that revealed some things that I want you to consider. Number one, it revealed that they had an understanding of the sovereignty of God, that if God permitted this opposition to happen, it must be because he is prepared to overturn it for the glory of God. He is prepared to overturn it and override it for good and for justice. Look on their threats, they said. But it also reveals something else. Their prayer reveals... Their prayer reveals that they understood that when you are opposing Christ, you're also opposing them. Or if you're opposing them, you're opposing Christ. Again, why? Because they are in Christ, his body on the earth. To oppose them is to oppose Christ if they are about the mission of Christ. And they also understood that if you're going to oppose Christ, the opposition to Christ is futile. Oh, I, I wish somebody would hear that and receive that right now. Opposition to Jesus Christ and his kingdom is vain. I'm, I, I am convinced, brother, that they don't believe what I'm saying. Right? That we're in Christ, right? And so we're representatives of his kingdom, right? If you go and attack or you kill an ambassador from another nation, what is that, my brother? That's a declaration of war. And so the text that they are actually quoting from in the Old Testament is Psalm 2. And essentially it's saying, look, whatever attack and opposition is coming from the Gentiles or from whoever, it is a vain thing. It's futile. And this now should lead us to be astonished by their request. Because their request is teaching us something that God wants us to understand today. And that is, number one, it's teaching us, it's teaching us that opposition, 
How should we respond to opposition to the mission of Christ? It's teaching us that opposition to the mission of Christ through us must... Oh, Lord, I'm losing my place. Have mercy. Pray for the pastor. Uh, must require us to pray for more boldness to fulfill the mission. When opposition arises, it should prompt us to pray and not pray, God, woe is me. Why is this happening to me? What's going to be the next move, God? No, the prayer is, God, give me more strength to keep going about the mission. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of something I learned recently about the Roman legions and the Roman army when they were going out and fighting and conquering all these other nations, right? The early part of the story of Rome and its development. And one of the things I discovered that they had a very bold strategy when it came to warfare. One of the things that they did is, is that whenever it looked like they were losing, whenever it looked like they were what? losing, when they looked like they were about to be defeated, they were taking on a whole lot of casualties. They were, they were losing a lot of soldiers in the fight. And the, the, the enemy or the opposing army was, was expecting their immediate surrender because that's what they were used to in a similar situation. And instead of surrender, what they actually did was regrouped and the soldiers that fell were replaced by new soldiers. And they literally wore down the enemy by an attitude of never give up the fight. Never surrender. They, they, they literally, the enemy's looking at them as if they're insane. Why are they persisting? They're losing. But instead of cowering and declaring surrender, they actually doubled down and continued to execute the mission that they were on. And they literally wore out their enemy and all of their strategy and all of their plans on how to win this battle by simply saying, we are actually going to be even more bold in our attempts. Now that's an earthly, ancient, fallen nation, an empire. But what about the kingdom of God? What about those that should believe that they're on the winning side? What about those that should believe what the word actually says, that to go against Christ and his mission through us is actually futile? It reminds me of what Jesus said. Go with me. John chapter 16, verse 33. John chapter 16, verse 33. It reminds me of what Jesus himself said as he's talking to his disciples before his crucifixion. John chapter 16, verse 33. Some of you might know this by heart. And the Bible says, Jesus talked to the disciples, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat the reality of life. He lets you know that there will be opposition. If you stand for Jesus, you're going to have a target. But he says, I need you to remember that I have already overcome the world. What do I give you to get through those tribulations and difficulties? I give you peace. Does Jesus remove the opposition? Does he intervene? Yes, he does. But sometimes it's better, and from his divine wisdom, to give us peace to get through it. 
And the peace is that the risen Christ has already, in principle, overcome the world. You see, from God's perspective, victory is a done deal. Can somebody say amen? Jesus said this before the cross. He said this hours before the cross. I've already overcome the world, he says. You see, this is the paradox of Christ and being a Christ follower. Sometimes winning looks like losing. And sometimes when it, when it comes to what we see with the enemy, sometimes the one who looks like he's winning is actually losing. Did Jesus, my brother, look like he was winning on the cross that Friday? I know we call it Good Friday and we celebrate Easter, amen. But did he look really, if you were there, did he look like he was winning? No, but if you were one of the Roman soldiers standing there when that angel came down on Sunday morning and all of a sudden the stone was moved out like a, like a pebble, did he look like he was winning then? And so his declaration on Friday when it didn't look like he was winning, oh, come on, somebody hear this. It is finished. This whole thing has the ring of victory even though it looked like defeat. When you're experiencing opposition on the job, you know you're on mission on the job, right? When you're experiencing opposition at home, you're on mission at home, right? When you're at your school and you're experiencing opposition, you understand that you're actually on the winning side. And it changes how you view your circumstances. It changes how you deal with the negative person, the attitudes, the, the triggers, right? Jesus would say over and over and over again, read the Gospels, I'm going to the cross, but I'm going to be raised up on the, on the third day. What would happen if we started to pray this way? When the opposition arises among us as the body of Christ and we're trying to accomplish mission for the city of Vienna and beyond, and we, we, we experience obstacles, and what would happen if we prayed, God, we recognize what's happening. We're not hiding our heads in the sand. But God, give us more boldness. Help us to continue to complete and fulfill the mission. Not in our own strength. We don't have that. But through your strength, Christ. Because opposition against you is futile. Futile, futile. But I want, I want to prepare you for what comes next. Because if you pray this prayer... What happened to them, what we're about to read now, is what's going to happen to us. Come with me back to Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse number 31. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse number 31. I want to thank Grace Martinez for that excellent scripture reading this morning on this passage. I heard some of you saying amen from earlier after she read that scripture. Amen. I want you guys to pay attention to this power-packed verse. Verse number 31 in Acts chapter 4. Here's what the Bible says. And when they had what? prayed, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, like an earthquake. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word, which by the way, more specifically, is the gospel. That's what it's getting at there in the book of Acts. And you see that over and over and over again. It's not just any word, any scripture. It's all scripture in the context of the risen Christ crucified and risen. They spoke the word of God with boldness, the very answer to their prayers. 
what's happening here? The place where they were was shaking. What would happen if while we were praying here, all of a sudden we felt shaking among us and there were no reports of an earthquake? At least not initially. They might think it's an earthquake after we get through praying in the place where we are shaking. What would happen if while you're praying at home with your spouse, the place there was shaken? What would happen if your neighborhood was shaken with the gospel? What would happen if your, if your community, what would happen if your, your office, your job was shaken by the presence of God? What's happening here in the text in verse 31 is a repeat of what happened two chapters before. This is a repeat of Pentecost. What you see in Acts chapter 2? Holy Spirit is outpoured, tongues of fire is falling on each of their heads, and everybody just starts speaking other languages on the earth to, in, in order to proclaim the gospel of the risen Christ. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and got animated about Jesus. They were given more boldness. If you read a little bit earlier in that chapter, by the way, that word boldness is replete throughout the chapter. It's just repeated over and over and over again. If you read earlier as Peter is standing there before the Sanhedrin, they took note at their boldness and that they were uneducated, but that they knew by their boldness that the Spirit gave them that they had been with Jesus. They said, well, that's how Jesus would speak. It's as if Christ is, I don't know, in them. What did Jesus say? I pray for your sake that I go to the Father so that the Spirit may come. And you will do what? Greater what? Works. What's one person? Because Jesus came, God in human flesh. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. But what happens when you have millions of believers that are filled with Christ through the Holy Spirit? doing the same kind of works and miracles that Jesus did. Isn't that what they prayed for? We want more boldness to speak the word of God and that you would stretch out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders would be done in your name, Jesus, your holy servant, Jesus. You know what they're saying? They're saying, multiply the works of Jesus among us. It should be that when people hang out with you and they see what you do and how you love them, what it's like to actually hang out with Jesus. Did you know that? As a follower of Christ, as a representative of the king, people hanging out with you should get a taste, a glimpse of what it means, what it would have felt like to actually hang out with Jesus of Nazareth 2,000 years ago. That's what, that, that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's not just a, a free pass and pardon. Amen for the grace, yes? But that grace is supposed to move you into a spirit-filled life. Not by your works. Christ in you through the spirit. And now over time, hanging out with you should feel like what it is to be in the presence of Jesus. You guys, how many of you guys remember Popeye the Sailor Man? Remember Popeye? Popeye would get in a fight, and I don't know who it was that he would typically be fighting with. Who was the, uh, the antagonist, right? He was the protagonist. Who was the antagonist? He was always getting in a fight with it. What's his name? Bruce? Bruto. Bruto. Okay, okay. <laughs> Mike, were you a fan of Popeye? You, you said that pretty loud, Mike. You said... <laughs> and, and, and what did he take in? Listen, what did he take in when he was faced with that opposition? What did he take in that turned him into this superhuman type of a fighter? Spinach. Yes? This is just a plug. Where, where's Marvin for our health ministries, right? It's just a plug for a healthier diet. Amen? But, 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 but this is kind of what 
we're supposed to do when the opposition comes. Don't respond in the flesh. You need not just spinach and healthy food, yes. You need the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You know, real simply, you need that to be a prayer that you pray every day. As best as I can, I pray daily, God, fill me again with a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying that because I'm somehow I've reached some superhuman place. I'm human, like you, right? Yeah. But, but, but I recognize, especially since entering into pastoral ministry now almost nine years, I desperately need the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. Yes, I do. One person describes it this way. One author describes it this way, that we, even as followers of Jesus, even having been filled with the Holy Spirit, are leaky vessels. And therefore, because, you know, this, is, this whole thing about the Holy Spirit and the, the gospel is about love. You understand that? And so you actually have free will. So you, this is why the virgins, five wise and five foolish, the whole idea there is that they needed to continually be filled. They needed a continual flow of oil. Why? Because you daily need the fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. Don't just be caught up on, amen, Pastor CJ. Oh, I felt the Holy Spirit on Sabbath, but on Tuesday, you, you done forgot you were Christian and Adventist and all that stuff. Every day is the, are, you, are we in the last days? Hello. Every day, gee, it's a simple prayer. Fill me. He answers it. You, I, I was so happy that you read uh, Matthew 7. Ask. Did you know ASK, that acronym A-S-K, is ASK, SEEK, KNOCK? Isn't that what he said? ASK, SEEK, KNOCK, DOOR WILL BE OPEN? And then in Luke, when he says the same thing, he adds, and will the Father not give you the Holy Spirit if you ask for him? In other words, the emphasis he's, man, Jesus, help me. The emphasis that Jesus is making is your greatest need that will actually provide all needs, really, is that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. What does the Bible say? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you believe that? I want to blow your mind for a second because sometimes we, we glaze over certain scriptures in the Bible. I want you to go with me to the book of John once again. And in John 16, Rather, John, let's, let's, let's go to John 14. John 14, Jesus is talking, he's introducing that a, a, another helper is going to come. This is a little bit earlier than what we just read a moment ago in John 16. A little bit earlier, he introduces more clearly here than ever before that the Holy Spirit would come to them as another comforter like Jesus. And I want you to go with me there. John chapter 14. Again, this is right before the cross, right before the Garden of Gethsemane. John chapter 14, and I want you to look at verse number 23. This verse should blow your mind every time you read it. I don't want you to miss this verse. I want you to really think and meditate on what this verse is actually saying to us. Are you there? Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. He's, the whole context of that uh, of those verses from about 15 down to about 24 and, and even down to 25 to 27, it's about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is coming. But watch verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. Amen. But watch this. Listen to what he says. Listen to this. And the Holy Spirit will come to you. Ooh, listen, listen to that. Holy Spirit, help us to lock in and not miss what is being said here. 
He said, we, we will come to him, or she, we will come to him and make our what? Home or abode or dwelling with them. Are you hearing what this passage is saying? Who's the we there? Who is Jesus talking about? See, we often think of the indwelling and infilling of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Third person of the Godhead. But do you, do you, do you, do you understand? Oh, Jesus. Do you understand that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you are receiving the presence of the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit? I, I wonder if you're hearing that. Do you know that when God would show up often in the Old Testament, people immediately would be prostrate? Do you know that there are people that have entered a holy space like the sanctuary inappropriately with a, with a heart that was not covered and seasoned with the gospel, yes? And not coming through the blood and not coming through the sacrifice and coming in maybe drunk like we know in the stories in the Old Testament and they drop dead in the holy presence of God. Yet the Bible just said, Jesus, our Lord and Savior himself, just said that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive that same God that was on Mount Sinai dwelling on the inside of you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are present with you. Hallelujah. What does that tell you about when you show up on the job? Who else is showing up on the job? The Godhead it, wherever you show up, the kingdom of God has arrived and Satan must fall. Do you actually believe that? That's what your Bible teaches. See, th th this is why the place was shaken when they prayed, because they understood what they were praying for. Do you know why they had that kind of boldness? There was a keen awareness that what Jesus said happened. What if we all believed this? And prayed, saying that when we pray, something's going to happen. We've got a series coming up, by the way, in the fall, November, called Expectant Living. Expectant Living. You'll hear more about it in the, in the coming weeks. And, and it's talking about how we should live in anticipation of the soon second coming of Jesus. But I want to challenge you that expectant living is not just about the soon return of Jesus. It's about a mindset and a spirit of expectancy now. That when you pray and when you ask God for things in the name of Jesus according to his will, things happen. We talked, we talked just a couple weeks ago and I was talking about while you're praying, didn't the Bible say that at the beginning of your prayer, God immediately goes into action? Things are happening when you pray. Maybe some of you want to go over your kid's room and start praying. Maybe some of you I'm going to start writing down at least three names of people that are in your spheres of life that you know need Jesus. And the Holy Spirit might start setting up some conversations that they start having with you, and you go, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. I see why. I was praying. Maybe there's somebody in here that has a need, and you can start praying for that, and maybe even be the answer to prayer by meeting that need. Because that's what's going to happen now as we go back to Acts chapter 4. As we go back to Acts chapter 4, they just got through praying, and the implication of their prayer was that they would receive 
the Holy Spirit that would give them boldness to keep the mission going. So come with me to verse number 32. What was the result of that prayer? What was the result of that shaking? Was it just to make everybody go, oh, wow, really cool trick. Wow, that, their God is real. Watch the, resu- the, the, the result of the prayer of the Holy Spirit for boldness. Now, the multitude, beginning in verse 32. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of what? One heart and one soul. That's unity. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, and they had all things in common. Does that not sound a, almost an exact carbon copy of what was in Acts chapter 2? This is a repeat of Pentecost. Implication here is that when we do this, we can have a repeat of Pentecost in our midst. Verse 33, and with great what? Power, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who, were, all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds and the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed, listen, to each as anyone. As who? Anyone had need. If you're really listening to what the Bible is saying here, it should challenge us as a community. It, really, it should challenge us in a very good way to be the body of Christ. Because what is that, what's actually being said here is that when we begin to pray together, when we begin to pray that the Holy Spirit would fill us with more boldness, when we begin to pray that we would receive the Holy Spirit, then that moves us to be, listen, overflowing in the love of God. And when we are overflowing with the love of God, we begin to love first, isn't it interesting, first one another. We begin to first love one another. Doesn't the Bible say, for God so loved the world? Isn't the great commission for us to go into all the world? Yes, but he wants to first start by you going to the person sitting in the pew next to you. Before you start preaching the gospel, he wants you to demonstrate the gospel by loving sacrificially one another. How do we respond to the opposition that comes against us as followers of Christ that are trying to accomplish the mission? You know what we need to do? We need to press in and reveal Jesus by how we love one another. Oh, that sounds so simple. Gee, Pastor, you're always talking about love. I don't know, that's just kind of what the whole theme of the book is. That's just kind of what the theme of the great controversy is. That's what the whole cross is about. That's what the Ten Commandments are about. That's what the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5. The Holy Spirit, when he fills you, fills you with the love of God. Yeah. You see, You're not going to enjoy heaven if you don't learn how to love the person sitting next to you now. You won't like it, because that's the atmosphere of heaven. You know, one person said it this way. I don't remember who originated this comment. They said that heaven is the presence of Jesus. Well, what pervades the presence of Jesus? Paul would say in one of his letters to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I believe it is, the, the aroma of Christ. What is the aroma of Christ that spreads everywhere, that exudes from you? And some of you, I, already, I, I experience it almost every week. 
What is that thing that comes through, that radiates from you when you're in Christ? What is holiness really all about? You know what it is? Love. Self-sacrificing love. It's loving one another well. And guess what? When, when others that are outside witness how we love each other, what does that look like? When we forgive one another, even when a mistake happens, right? when we reconcile, when we recognize that someone has a need and someone steps in and decides to be the body and love us like Jesus, it's compelling to the world around us. Preaching the gospel is not just the words you say. Matter of fact, one theologian, I'm forgetting who it is, Thomas Aquinas or St. Augustine, I'm not remembering which one of them, said, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. Because the gospel is preached when we, like Jesus, self-sacrificially love one another. And that attracts, you see, you can go out there preaching all day long, and some churches do this, preach all day long evangelistic sermons about how amazing the gospel is and how amazing the word of God is and how following Jesus is wonderful. And then they come into a dysfunctional, divided congregation. And they wonder why people go out the back door, because they're not revealed. You did a, you, you, you did a okie doke. You did a bait and switch. You talked about the love of God and the cross, and then they didn't see that lived out among us. You see, we have, Jesus preached, and, and, and even in his ministry of three and a half years, most of his stuff wasn't preaching. It was demonstrating the gospel. Notice he lived 30 years before he ever preached, because every day he was living self-sacrificially. Why did they start to sell property? Not all of them did. You'll see evidence throughout the uh, the, the, the story there in the New Testament in Acts that some still had homes. But, but a lot of them did that had the ability to. Why were they moved to do that? There's a few things real quick that I want to share with you before we pray and before we close out. One of the things that I'm really discovering and is really just stirring me right now is that the gospel, particularly the death and resurrection of Christ, according to the Jewish and Hebrew mind, was inherently eschatological. I just used a big theological word. It inherently was connected with last day events. Why? Because when you received the gospel of the resurrected Christ, then you were living in the wake of the resurrection. Therefore, it assured you of resurrection and new creation. And so therefore, the things of this world kind of really began to lose their significance. In terms of being an idol in your life, does that make sense? It's not so much now about, I have to have all the possessions. I'm in Christ. I'm living kingdom now before it happens officially at the second coming. We're already loving one another like we're going to in a greater way in heaven. So why do I need all this stuff? I know. I'm sorry. I stepped on your toe. That was maybe your pew. Uh, why do I need all this stuff when there's people in the congregation that don't have half the stuff that I need, that are without work, that may not say it but are hungry? I need, how can I profess to, to, to believe in Christ and not reveal him in my actions? And how I love the family first, which attracts the world and then authenticates what you have to say to them. 
This is how Jesus described in Matthew chapter 16. We don't have time to go there right now. But in Matthew chapter 16, this is how Jesus described his church that's founded on him and his teachings. It is founded on him being the son of God, the Christ. He says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, the kingdom of God is on the offensive, breaking into the territory and the kingdom of Satan, rescuing people out from the kingdom of darkness in this world into the kingdom of light and grace. And what Jesus, the vision that Jesus cast, right, like as our CEO, right, the vision that Jesus cast was an unstoppable movement. Jesus did not cast a vision of a church that will flounder off into defeat because the devil was just so big and bad in these last days. And I understand that church history paints a very ugly picture of the, ugly, the uglification of God where there are those that fell away from the gospel, fell away from Jesus, did horrible things in the name of Jesus, and we may look at that and go, oh, wow, it looks like the devil's winning. That produced most of the atheists in the world. You guys know that? Our history, is, uh, Christianity's history, particularly during the, the Middle Ages, Dark Ages. But Jesus always preserved faithful followers throughout church history. And he's telling us the victory is that what I've accomplished in my life, death, burial, and resurrection, those who believe it and are filled with the Spirit, are actually unstoppable. Even when sometimes, like the cross, it looks like they're defeated. Who received that today? that the church is actually unstoppable. It will accomplish its goal. There will be a people prepared to meet our soon coming savior. The question is, are you gonna to continue to just sit in a pew and warm a pew and play church, or are you actually gonna be a part of that unstoppable movement? And listen, don't miss this, this is central. The center, the core of this experience of this movement, the driving motivation and force behind it is love. For God, and one another. And it just oozes out into all the other people interactions that you have in your spheres of influence. So if you want to experience this unstoppable movement that the church actually is, who wants to actually experience that by praying personally in your personal time with God? Your hands are up. Who wants to actually get together in grow groups we're launching today? You want to actually get together with other believers like they did and the place where they were was shaken once they were praying. And you want to say, I want to get with other believers and not just kind of have a surface kind of community experience. I want to go deeper in community in a small group, whether online and in person, because I want to experience an unstoppable church. How many of you say, I want to demonstrate this unstoppable movement and the love that's supposed to flow out among us for one another by getting engaged in ministry? And ministry is not just getting engaged in something here at the church. Everything that you do in your career, at home, in the wherever you are, is ministry. Your profession is ministry, meeting needs. And how many of you say, I actually want to take part in the opportunities that we have, not just grow groups, but there's also every Sabbath morning at nine o'clock in the choir loft, I believe it's still there at the choir loft, we've got a small group of people that are praying over the needs of our congregation. On Thursday, every Thursday is a season of fasting and prayer. You want to get connected with our prayer ministry. Where's Isabel? Isabel, you want to put your hand up? That's our prayer coordinator. You want to get involved in the prayer life of the congregation. Look, once we start praying, the place where we are and assembled will be shaken. It's a guarantee if you believe that we're on the winning side. So at this time, I want to invite the praise team to come up. 
Because here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you if you want to be a part of that unstoppable movement, that you don't just hear the word, but you respond and apply the word. That you don't just hear the word, but you respond and apply the word. Just having your name on the right denominational role is not going to do it in these last days. And I love our denomination with all of its faults. But God knows what he's accomplishing through us. But watch this, just mere membership is not going to do it. You need Jesus and the indwelling spirit to be a part of that unstoppable movement. But you know what was most unstoppable? What was unstoppable was the love of God that led Jesus to come here and grind it out on the way to the cross for you. Yeah. To endure humiliation and spitting. You thought that was easy for Jesus? His humanity wanted to give it up, but his love for you was unstoppable. Because he had a vision, as Hebrews will say, for the joy that was set before him of an unstoppable movement that he would unleash on the earth. That those who received the gospel of Jesus Christ and his salvation by grace through faith would also subsequently, as a result, be filled with the fullness of God through the Holy Spirit. You have that privilege right now. Your life can dramatically change if you really hear what I'm saying to you right now. This church will completely look different. Not in some cosmetic way, but really deeply internally if we really receive what is being said today. We will in, in, indeed be unstoppable. If we receive the unstoppable love of God revealed in Christ, poured out in and through you through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to Living For Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.